great to see all of you here today. Before I dive into the word that I believe God has for us today, this is a save the date announcement. I'm not going to go too deep into this. We'll give you more details later, but it, again, it's a save the date. Next year, 2024, in the month of November, November 2024, um, my wife and I are going to be leading a group from ACAC to the Holy Land. And so we'll take a trip to Israel, and we're going to have about 40 to 45 spots available for those who are interested in taking that trip. We'll, we'll give you those announcements, the dates, the itinerary costs, and all of that later this summer, but I just wanted you to save that date if you would be interested in going. I've been a couple times myself, and one of the things when you go on that trip, not only in experiencing and seeing so many sites from the Bible, uh, you're also going to spend one day here, and that is at the Dead Sea. Now, uh, this isn't a painting, it's an actual picture of the Dead Sea, and the Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea for a reason. It's dead. Um, other than some algae and other than some microorganisms, there is nothing living in the Dead Sea. It is the saltiest body of water in all of the earth. It makes up the lowest point in all of the earth. It's nine times saltier than the ocean. And so if you were to go and when you go, you won't see fish. Um, you're not going to see wave runners uh, scooting across the Dead Sea. You're not going to see sailboats. You're not going to see ski boats. You're not going to see vacation homes around there. It's desolate. In fact, the only people that actually go to see the Dead Sea are people like this. Tourists. Uh, this is my wife and I. It was actually... I think it was 2019, it was taken from the top of Masada, and, which you'll get to experience as well. But that's the Dead Sea in the background. Tourists are the only people that visit the Dead Sea. Uh, I think it was like one hotel right there. And when you go, and one of the things tourists like to do is they like to swim in the Dead Sea. And I really wouldn't even call it swimming. You bob, kind of like a cork in a body of water because it's so salty. You can't, you can't sink. But I will warn you, when you get in that water, you need about five showers after you get out because every crevice of your body is filled with salt. So interestingly enough about the Dead Sea, it has fresh water flowing into it. The Jordan River flows into the Dead Sea and there are other streams, but there are no outlets in the Dead Sea. So all it does is continue to collect, 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 and it just holds everything. But it's so hot in its desert that through heat and time, that water evaporates. And when it comes to us being generous, some of us are like rivers, but my guess is some of us are like the Dead Sea. You see, rivers take water from upstream, and they channel it down, and they distribute it and pass it on to others, giving. But unlike the Dead Sea, it's opposite. Dead Sea holds everything. It hoards everything it receives. So let me ask you this morning, when it comes to generosity, when it comes to you being generous, are you more like a river, or are you more like the Dead Sea? Now, when we talk about generosity, and as we're going to do over the next few weeks, understand that we're talking more than just money. This isn't just about finances. There are three ways in which God blesses us that we can distribute and demonstrate our generosity. Certainly, 
treasure is one of those, or resources, or money. But the other thing is time. We're all blessed and given a certain amount of time, and we are given also talents or gifts and abilities. And my hope is that during this series, we would not be Dead Sea people, that each and every one of us would go before the Lord and say, God, in each of those areas, in time, in talent, and in treasure, am I operating like a Dead Sea, holding and hoarding, or am I a river? Am I channeling the blessings that you are pouring into my life, and am I being a blessing to others? The series is called Gener Us, with the focus on the word us. And the idea is this, God has more for me than me. Let's pray. Father, you have blessed all of us so incredibly much. The poorest of poor in this room is rich beyond standards in the world. You have given us all time. You have given us all unique abilities, talents. And your desire is that us as followers would not hoard those things, would not hold on to them, would not fill barns here on earth that will one day decay and die and evaporate. But that we would channel those blessings so that your people would be a blessing to the world. God, over the next few weeks, beginning right now, starting with me, would you do surgery on our hearts? Would your spirit convict in those areas of time, talent, and treasure? Speak to us, almighty God, in only the way that you can, and may your spirit transform us. In the name of Jesus, everyone said, amen. Amen. So what holds us back from being generous people? I mean, the idea is, I, I believe all of us want to be generous. If I asked you, do you desire to be a generous person? Everybody would say, yeah. But as we know, what we want to do and what we actually do are two different things. So what holds us back? Well, as I was thinking about that question this week, I was reminded, I went back to my elementary school days and middle school days. Some of you may remember this. Whenever NASA had a rocket launch, how many of you know they would gather the class and you would watch it on TV? Did anybody else do that? I remember doing that, seeing that as a kid. And whenever the rocket launched, you saw the, the flame and you could hear it and this rocket would take up in the air and there were boosters that would fall off as the rocket got higher and higher. Now, they needed those boosters. The rocket needed that because there was what's called a G-force that was trying to hold the rocket back. It was gravity. So you had power and energy going up, but there was Earth's gravity that was pulling back. There were dueling, opposing forces at work. The same is true in our hearts. There is a G-force. There is a generosity that we want to do, where we give, 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 but the other G-force that is pulling back is this thing called greed that wants us to get, get, get. There are two opposing forces that are at work within us. Let me give you another illustration. I brought a football with me, and I want you to imagine that this football represents all of God's blessings. So we receive God's blessings from the Lord. We receive time, we receive talent, we receive treasure right and once we receive that if you know the game of football at all once a person receives the football they hold on to it as tightly as they can 
as they journey down the field, as they head towards the finish line, the goal line, they hold tightly to it because they know there are defenders, there are linebackers and corners and safeties that are going to try to come and punch the ball out. They're going to try to rip the ball out. They're going to try to tackle, hoping that you fumble so that they get it. Now, for us, as we hold God's resources, it may not be a linebacker or a corner. It may be the IRS. It may be the visa statement that you get in the mail. It may be University of Pittsburgh or Penn State, that tuition bill for your kids that comes, whatever it may be. But we see people that are trying to take our time. They want to use our talents. They want to use the money and the resources that, they ha- that we have. And the idea is, is that if we let go, if we fumble, if we drop the ball, we know that the football will bounce in funny ways. And that if we let go and we drop it, someone else will pick it up and they will run towards the goal line and they will score. And if they score, we don't. If they win, we lose. That means they're happy and we're not. That means they're living in abundance and we're living in lack. But God hasn't called us to use his resources like that. That's a Dead Sea mentality. I believe that we should look at it like a basketball. So again, in the same analogy, if you imagine that this basketball represents God's time, talent, and treasure that he gives each and every one of us, when a basketball player wants to move the ball up the court, what do they do? They have to dribble, meaning they have to let it go. They've got to bounce the ball, and in bouncing it, they understand and they know that the ball is going to come back to you. Oh, almost. (laughs) But the ball comes back. And it's a biblical understanding. Paul writes to the Corinthian church in this. Remember, he says, whoever sows sparingly, what? Reaps sparingly. But whoever gives generously will also reap generously. And so I believe, and the Bible teaches, that as Jesus followers, if we look at God's resources like a basketball, we will trust him. We will let it go, recognizing that it will return and that God will provide all of our needs. Our text today is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, where Paul, the writer and the author, stresses the significance to these Jesus followers in the town of Corinth. He stresses the significance of generosity for those who follow Jesus. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote several letters, many of you know that, to different congregations. And before he gets to the meat of this conversation of generosity... He sets it up and he talks to these Christians that are in Corinth and he he references and gives a testimony to what God is doing through generosity in other churches. Let me show you. In verse 1 of chapter 8, Paul writes, Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, again, he's writing to the church in Corinth, what God in his kindness has done to the churches in Macedonia. Now those churches in Macedonia are Philippi, Berea, and Thessalonica. So he's testifying. He says, they, the Macedonians, are being tested by many troubles and they're very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy which is overflowed in rich generosity. Don't miss that. He's saying, your brothers and sisters at the churches in Philippi and Thessalonica, Berea, and Macedonia, they're experiencing great trouble. Part of that trouble is they're experiencing poverty. Yet, he says... In the midst of suffering, in the midst of poverty, your brothers and sisters are filled with abundant joy. And the result of that joy is overflowing generosity. Don't miss the order here. Paul does not say 
out of their generosity they received joy. He says in the midst of trouble, in the midst of their poverty, they were experiencing joy and the fruit of that joy was generosity. That's why it's not about giving to receive. It's that our generosity and our giving of those things is an overflow of the joy that is in our heart. Now we get to the meat of the text. Three verses, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 7, 8, and 9. This is what Paul writes. Since you excel, and again, he's talking about the church in Corinth, these Jesus followers, and he's complimenting them. He's saying, you guys are awesome. You excel in so many ways. Your faith, you're excelling in faith. You're gifted speakers. You have amazing teachers and speakers there in the church. Your knowledge, you're growing in your understanding of who God is. Your joy, your enthusiasm, and your love from us. But then he says, however, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. He says, I'm not commanding you to do this, but I'm testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. And he, he writes, you know the generous grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty, speaking of Jesus, he could make you rich. So these three verses, Paul gives us the key to understanding the source of our joy, which should lead us to being a river of generosity rather than a dead sea of greed. Now, to do this, to understand where that joy comes from and how to be generous people, we need to look at these three verses. And I want us to do it in the sense of a river going backwards. I want us to go upstream to look at the source. So instead of going 7, 8, and 9, we're going to look at verse 9, verse 8, and then verse 7. And we're going to see that the source of this river of generosity is God himself. The source of all generosity is God himself. And our role model for generosity is Jesus. So going to the source of the river, in verse 9, we just read this. Paul writes, you know the generous grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor. So that by his poverty, he could make you rich. Paul points to the generosity of Jesus Christ. Now, in what sense, we have to ask the question, in what sense did Jesus become poor? Well, in the sense is, he gave up everything. In another letter, Paul writes, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he, speaking of Jesus, gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he, Jesus, appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on the cross. He did this, Jesus did, so that we would become rich. Now that leads many of us to ask the question, well, in what way? In what way does Jesus make us rich? Most importantly and significantly, we are rich spiritually. Rich in terms in our relationship with God. Because if Jesus had not laid down his riches on the cross, God would not have been able to offer us the opportunity to receive the free gift of salvation. So when it comes to generosity, our model is Jesus. The one who laid it all out, the one who laid everything down, though he was God, gave everything away. 
And when we understand that, when we understand the generosity shown by Jesus, the generosity shown by God, our hearts will overflow with gratitude. And the more consistently that we express our gratitude towards God, the more likely we are to follow in the footsteps of Jesus in being generous. Unfortunately, though, the opposite is also true. A lack of gratitude will result in a lack of generosity. So the more we remind ourselves of just how extraordinarily generous God has been to each of us, the more generous we are going to be towards others. Our model is Jesus. He has more for us than just us. Now, going a little further up the river, in verse 8, Paul writes, I'm not commanding you to do this. He says, this isn't out of obligation. This isn't a law. Paul's not saying you must do this. Not commanding you. He says, I'm testing, testing you. I want to see how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. Our role model for for generosity is Jesus, but our motivation for generosity is love. It's not something that's commanded. You can't command. Giving and being generous isn't something you do out of obligation. Generosity comes from within your heart. I want to give you an illustration. I need a mother who's here on the the front row that's willing to come up. Karen, come on up. She, She was quick. Quick to come on up. Come on up, Karen. Can we give Karen a big hand? Thank you, Karen. You're bold and brave this morning. Happy Mother's Day. Now, Karen, you have qualified to receive these flowers because you are a mother. And it is our obligation because it's on the calendar and this is what we do nationally. Um, And so it's in that spirit that I just want to say thank you for being a mom. Now, wait. How many know if I did that this afternoon to my wife? I'm going to be sleeping on the couch for a week at least. We don't show generosity. We don't show gratitude out of obligation. The proper way to do this is, Karen, as a man, I have no idea the sacrifice that you have made as a mom. But I just want to say thank you. Because when no one else is looking, you loved your kids. When Rich was wa- Rick was watching TV, watching football games on Sunday noon... <laughs> You are working hard, and we love you, and we appreciate you and every mom in this room, and we support you, and we say thank you, and we love you. Happy Mother's Day. You may be seated. You keep those. How many know that's the way to do it? Why? Because generosity comes from the heart. The motivation comes from the love that you have. And so our motivation is love. Now, we finish at the source of the river. We go a little further up in verse 7. Paul writes this. He says, since you excel in so many ways. Again, he's complimenting the church. He says, your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us. He's like, you are doing a lot of things really well. You're getting an A in all of these classes. However, there's one class that you really need to study and do better in. He says, I want you to excel also. In this gracious act of giving. Don't you love seeing someone excel at a particular gift? 
I mean, when you see somebody that you know they have put in the time, they have put in the discipline, and they just are excellent at what they do, whether it be playing an instrument, running a bit. I love seeing that. Give you a little example. I have two brothers and a sister. I'm the oldest, and my two brothers, um, my middle brother, his name is Ramon, and he's seven years younger than me. And then the youngest, the baby of our family, is Austin. He's 14 years younger than me. And Austin, the youngest, is an incredible golfer. You know I love to play golf. And um, when Ramon, the middle brother, when he was in high school, he worked at a golf course. And every day when he went to golf during the, or when he went to work at the golf course during the summer, my brother Austin, who was about eight, nine years old at the time, he would tag along. And he would go to work with Ramon, but he would hit balls on the range and he would putt on the green. And um, he did this for like summer after summer. And to this day, my brother Austin, when, you, when I play golf with him, I mean, he flushes every shot. If I can just brag on him for a moment, um, th- this very week, he qualified in the, the regional U.S. Open, and he's now playing in the national qualifier for the U.S. Open. So if he finishes in a certain, yeah, so just put that on your prayer list. Um, I mean, he's that good. And when I watch him, I'm like, man, I wish I could do that. It's just when you see somebody excel at something. You're like, that's amazing. And Paul is saying to the church, he goes, you have some amazing speakers. He goes, your knowledge, your faith. If he was writing to us today, maybe he would say, you pray every day. You are growing in the knowledge of God, ACAC. You're doing amazing things. I mean, your pastor is a phenomenal speaker. (laughs) I'm joking. He would say, you know, he would compliment us in all this way. But would he say, I want you to excel at something else. I want you to excel in generosity. I want you to excel in giving the way that you excel in all of those other ways. So what are you good at? Maybe God would say to you, you are a strategic thinker. And man, you are so good at leading your business. You're so good at whatever hobby it may be. You're so good at memorizing God's word and being disciplined spiritually and fasting and prayer. But I believe God would challenge us in that area of generosity and say, are you excelling? Are you as disciplined in the area of generosity? You see, when it comes to generosity, our mission, Paul says, is to excel in giving. God has more for me than me. Over the next two weeks, we're going to dive deeper into how we can excel in generosity. Next week, we're going to specifically talk about our resources. Specifically, what has God called us to do in using our resources to expand his kingdom and be generous people. The following week, we're going to talk about our time and our talents and our ability. God has more for me than me. Lord, help us that if we ever become Dead Sea people, have rivers of blessing flowing into us, hoarding and holding all of God's blessing only to see it evaporate through time. Lord forbid we be like a football player holding tightly, not wanting to fumble, not wanting to give anything away. May we be rivers of generosity. May we take the blessings that God gives us, our time, our talents, and our treasure, trust that when we sow generously, We'll reap generously. Would you stand today? I just want to conclude by praying over all of us. 
Father, my prayer today begins with me. I love this church. And I believe humbly, I say this, we excel in a lot of ways. Our diversity is something to be grateful for. The impact that this church has through its history here on the north side, in our city, across the world through missions. There's so many ways in which I believe you have led this church in excelling. But over the next three weeks, I pray that all of us would look inward and ask the question, are we excelling in our generosity? The history of your church has been that your people have been the most generous people. We wouldn't have hospitals today if it wasn't for the church of Jesus Christ. Even our education system has been impacted by Jesus followers years and years and years ago who looked out beyond themselves, who wanted to be a river of generosity and extend and use the gifts and the treasure and the time that they have to invest in others. So Lord, I ask that you would examine my heart, that your spirit would convict. Do that in each of us. Help us to teach our kids that we wouldn't raise selfish, materialistic, consumeristic children. But we have to lead by example in that. Even today as we take mom to lunch, as we go out to the marketplace, open our eyes. Lord, may the first question be when we see someone in need, when we see a way in which we can help. God, what would you have me do? And let me do it right now. Do that in us. In the name of Jesus, amen. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms. God bless you. We'll see you next weekend.